As he said, our reading was from Colossians 3.12 through 17. But I want to kind of camp out on the first two verses here. Put on then as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Like I said, that's where I want to kind of camp out today. And, you know, if this message were to have a title today, I guess it could be Forgiven to be Forgiving. Or maybe you could even turn that around to even say Forgiving to be Forgiven. I looked and in the ESV, forgiveness is mentioned and taught some 65 times. And if you look in the New Testament, it is at least 40 times or a few more that forgiveness is mentioned just in the context of the New Testament. If you look in the Greek, which I did not, I did, I looked in the Google. But if you, if you look in the Greek, the word forgiveness is mentioned at least 146 times or at least referred to by another word. So with that said, with it being brought to our attention so many times, it's apparent that God wants to, us to understand not only the meaning, but the application of forgiveness. And we have to understand, and you're going to hear this throughout this, but we have to understand that forgiveness is the absolute heart of the gospel. It's a crucial factor in not only how we relate to God, but how we connect with Him. And let me preface this today, that our discussion is primarily focused on those that believe. Those of us who believe that Christ came to this defective world that we call home. He took our sins. He was crucified on the cross to be the sacrifice, the payment for our offenses towards God. We believe that it's our sin that separates us from God and that Jesus, and only Jesus, has made a bridge to where we have that connection with God. It's a way through that bridge that He brings us to the Father. And as far as it goes, I think we as believers understand the receiving part of forgiveness. We're pretty good at that. At least I am. I'm good at receiving His forgiveness for the sins that, that I've committed. It's usually the first thing we learn when we become a believer. We learn as followers of Jesus that it's what qualifies us to be saved. It's what qualifies us to be a part of His kingdom. And we learn and we come to believe that because the Word tells us that because of the cross and His sacrifice, our transgressions and our offenses towards God have been removed. 
Now, if someone is here today and you don't have a relationship with God, or maybe you're just in this mundane part of life to where you feel like you're just existing and you're warming a seat when you come here and sit on a Sunday. There's one thing that I want to do, and I normally do it to myself, but I want to remind you what the word about his love for you says to remind us about the length he went to for our salvation and our sacrifice. And I don't want this to sound like a Bible drill. I really don't by listing multiple, multiple verses. But I can tell you right now, there's nothing that this mortal body can say that will move heaven as much as his word already has. So I feel quite comfortable in just reading his word. So we're going to start in Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We move to Romans 8, starting with verse 1. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to His Spirit. Again, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I say this one for last. Because this one, when, there was a time in my life that I was trying so hard to understand how a God could forgive me and how he could throw away everything that I had done, that it would be erased. It was so hard for me to understand that. And I read this verse, and I do not mind telling you that I weep. Romans 5, starting with verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But listen to this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Nothing I can say today can tell you what those words say. There is freedom in those words if we listen to them. And it's good for me to read these again and again and again and to read them often. It's good that I'm reminded through his word that he loved us enough to go on the cross and to shed his blood and give his life so the price of my sin would be paid in full. It's good to be reminded, as it says in Psalms 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for me that he has removed my transgressions as far as the east is from the west. It's good for me to remember these things. And I still get excited about these promises. They move me still, even though we read them over and over. And we were just reminded of this a couple of weeks ago as David preached up here in Colossians in the beginning of chapter 3. Actually, 2.13. My apologies. When Paul was telling the church that we who are dead in our trespasses in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I pray that we never tire of focusing on these words. I pray that we never tire of telling others about them because it is good. But it is not good if we place a period at the end when I see receive this forgiveness. Not only is there a need of continual repentance in my life because I'm still, still susceptible to sin, but we also must realize that with this forgiveness comes a charge, a call, or command, if you will, from God. And it is this. Just as I have forgiven you, you must forgive each other. If you write anything down in your notes today, please write this part and please make it stick like glue. The forgiven person is a forgiving person. I'll say it again. The forgiving person, the forgiven person is a forgiving person. You know, those words are easy to roll off your lips, but to apply them in real life, well, you know, it's a totally different thing. To forgive another person for something that they have done to you, it can be one of the hardest challenges of mankind. One of the hardest things that you can face. And unfortunately, we are taught by this world just the opposite. We are taught, instead of forgiveness, that our weapon should be revenge. We see it in the, I would say, the movies that we watch, but my family's here, they'll tell you the movies I watch. 
to where the action movies is raw, it's tough, and the answer for someone that wronged them is vengeance. It's to get back at them. That there must be a reckoning, so to speak, for what they've done to you. And in the end, once everything and all the dust is settled, there's a hero standing in the middle of the town, smoking gun. They're giving him the keys to the city for what he's done. That's not how it is in real life. In real life, though, we end up most of the time standing alone, or at least we feel like we are. We hold tight the offenses of others like it's some sort of power that we have over them. Not realizing that that unforgiveness is producing chains that we can't bear ourselves. We long for reckoning. Something deep inside of us longs for it. But we just end up with a weighted down heavy heart. And if we're successful in our pursuit of revenge, the sad part about that is we will have destroyed any chance of God's grace and mercy being present in that situation. We've taken away the chance for restoration. Harboring unforgiveness for another, it not only plagues us personally, but it also defies the very command of God. Forgiveness for those who offends us needs to be one of the main attributes for believers in this life and the character for anyone who follows Jesus. I want to say it again, as we said it earlier, forgiveness is the absolute heart of the gospel. It's based on what we hold so dear to us as believers in that Christ gave his life so that we may be forgiven. And it's because of his sacrifice and the payment of our sin that it's been taken care of. And it's equally important to remember that a crucial factor in our relationship with God is our willingness to forgive others and their offenses towards us. It's no coincidence that the command to forgive others is based on the fact that God has forgiven us. As Jesus was teaching his disciples, one of the things that he, was, he did was he took a moment and he was teaching them how to pray. We all know this prayer. Even if you're walked through life and you're not a believer and very hardly darken the doors of a church, you've heard this prayer. I said it with coaches from Little League Ball. Even up through high school, I'll never forget my high school coach in the middle of the season. Actually, towards the first of the season, he got saved. And from that point on, before we played any game, he got us together and we recited the Lord's Prayer. And i be honest with you, I didn't know the Lord. But I memorized it because I didn't want, didn't want to be the odd guy out. You know, I would start off, you know, our Father in Heaven. So I memorized it so that I didn't seem like the one that didn't know. We've heard it, 
but have we heard it? Matthew 6, starting with verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Something I didn't see from Cap League ball through high school through a lot of years. Six times in just three verses, Jesus mentions God's forgiveness plus our willingness to forgive others to be the sum of the equation. That many times in such a short prayer. Anyone that knows me, anyone that has sat down and we've had a real deep theological discussion will hear me speak of two verses. To be honest with you, they have scared me beyond measure. These two verses, they don't scare me in a manner that I'm scared that God will strike me down because I did this or that, but simply because I, I can't imagine doing all this without the presence of God in my life. Not this, just waking up and going about life on a daily basis. The first is in Matthew. It's Matthew seven twenty one, And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? It's then I will declare to them that I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The other is what we just read, the very end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let me clarify something about these two verses before we go on. The first in Matthew 7, that relates to a salvation issue. The one in Matthew 6 is concerning your relationship and your connection with the Father. And it scares me to think of this life, like I said, walking through it and not having a connection and a relationship with God. Another reason this verse grabs me and it grabs my attention is because if we think about it, the unforgiving spirit is the number one killer of a spiritual life among believers. Just about any offense or sin that you can think of, you can connect it to an unforgiving spirit. Whether it be a cheating spouse, whether it be someone 
who has done physical harm to you, whether it be someone who has spoken words against you that have hurt you, that have scarred you. And another one that is dominant in the circles we run in, church hurt. For those that have hurt you in the church, there's an unforgiving spirit connected with it. And it's the number one killer of the spiritual life. You see, if I've been forgiven through Christ, through repentance, but I still hold grudges and I harbor feelings towards others without intent of reconciliation, I must question whether or not I truly understand the nature of forgiveness. And if I neglect to exercise forgiveness, I will soon lose my enjoyment in God's garden. The anger, the resentment, the hurt will begin to overshadow extreme measures that Jesus took so that I could be truly free. Now listen, I'm not standing up here today saying that forgiving someone who has wronged you is easy because I'm not. I know the feelings all too well when someone very close to you has hurt you. Many of us have been weighed down and hindered because of what someone has done to us and has put a chain around us and has tethered us to unforgiveness for an individual and it's just so hard to escape it. I understand. And I, I don't know if you have a hurt. I don't know, you know what that hurt is. I only know what people in the past have done to me or maybe done to someone very, very close to me. And I know those things hurt me in some cases to the point that it scarred me. And I'm quite positive others here could sh share those same stories, but different stories. But when we consider the staggering debt that Jesus paid to forgive us and the comparative smallness of the debts that others have towards us, unfortunately, it could be base ingratitude for us not to make attempts towards a reconciliation. Jesus gave a story that talked about the base ingratitude of someone who couldn't forgive. Matthew 18, 21, he starts talking about the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And you know Peter had to be proud when he said this. He said, you know, as many as seven times. He was expecting the okay from Jesus. Jesus says, no. No, I do not say to you seven times, but I say to you 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts of his, with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master 
of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Go back to verse 24. We're going to stop there for just a second. He owed the master 10,000 talents. I had to look to see what exactly what that was and see what it was that he owed this guy. Based on research from 2022, just one years ago, 10,000 talents is worth rough, roughly 375 pounds or see 375 tons of silver. And silver just one year ago was about $20, $21 per what they call as Troy ounce. And with about 29,166 Troy ounces in a ton, 10,000 talents would equal in today's money to be $226 million and some change. So you can see why the servant fell on his knees and he begged for mercy because the master knew it and the servant knew it. It was a debt that he could not clearly pay. No matter what avenue he took, no matter who he asked, there was no way to repay the master. Continuing in verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now using the same calculator as before, what this guy owed him was around $3,800 in today's standards. So he owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. We've heard that somewhere before, haven't we? But he refused and he went and he put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you have pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. The mirror is a very revealing object, especially when I look into it. More times than not, the weight of the offenses towards me cannot even tip the scales of what I've been forgiven for. David mentioned this last week as he was referencing the scripture in Galatians 5 and reminded us that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Don't belittle your sin in comparison to someone else's. Don't make it seem as though your sin is not near as bad as the sin that they've committed against you. Sin, sin, is sin. And the foot of the cross is level ground. 
And I think this is the main thing that Jesus really wants us to see in all this. So how do we do it? How do we even begin to attempt to forgive something that we might have been holding on to for years and years? How do we direct ourselves to try and forgive either immediately or start the process to prevent all those wounds from festering? One is we do just what we've been talking about. We take into account the debt that we've owed, what we've been forgiven compared to the offense that has been made towards us. That picture in itself should answer our questions. With me, it's a no contest. Second, consider, consider, consider what it says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. My friends, in all these offenses towards us, past, present, future, don't forget who is the author of evil. Don't forget that we have an enemy who is lurking about, aiming to kill, to steal, and destroy that which is restorative. You see, when we're wrong, we tend to want to fight to come against the doer of that wrong. But we don't take time to consider or do anything about the evil of that wrong. In the end, it's the evil that we're fighting and not just the doer. But forgiveness, forgiveness for another has an erasing effect. What's amazing is that the evil can be eliminated by forgiving the doer. If the doer sees the forgiveness of Jesus in you, restoration has a place to be birthed and then evil has no place to reside. At the beginning of the service last week, and I noticed it was referenced in one of our songs this morning, praise is a sword. But at the beginning of the service last week, Sam referred to praise as a weapon against the enemy. I about came out of my seat. I shared with Sam later why. But I about came out of my seat. And the reason is, is because the day before praying and studying for this today, the Lord showed me that forgiveness is a mighty weapon. And Sunday when Sam said that, I realized that when you put the two praise and forgiveness, when you put the two out front, people, the enemy does not have an answer for it. I mean, let's say, let's say you've had the worst day in a month of Sundays and it just really stunk. Nothing has went your way. You've pushed north with all your might and everything else went south. 
And the devil sits back and he laughs. And he says, watch this. He's going to go home. He's going to sit. He's going to marinate and discuss and just rehash this horrible day. And then here's you say, oh God, I praise you because even though things didn't go my way, I know that you sustained me through the muck and the mire of today. The enemy can't help but say, what? After this day, your boss berating you, your co-workers blaming you, and to be honest, it was all your fault. And you say, you're right. It was my fault. Everything about today. And it did stink. But it still doesn't take away the fact that he was with me. He sustained me. He helped me through it. So yes, I can praise him because he is the God of my valley, just as he is the God of my mountaintop. He is my cloud by day. He is my fire by night. He still leads me to still waters. He still leads me to green pastures. So yes, I can praise him when things don't go right and I can praise him in the storm. And the devil has no answer for that. Then he reminds you, what about Bob? Bob had no right to say those things about you. He slandered you in front of everyone in the office. He embarrassed you. He made you feel inadequate. There was no reason for him to do that. Yeah. I say we hate Bob. Let's let's do that. Let's let's take some time and let's just let's hate on Bob a little while. But we say, you know, I wanted to at first. But I know that Bob has suffered in the same area as well lately and probably doing a lot of the stuff that he's doing just to get the light off him. But, you know, there was no reason to do it. He had no right to do it. But I'm reminded that my forgiven debt is much greater than Bob's trivial offense. So I forgive him. Once again, the enemy has no answer. Now here's the question. What are we saying what are we really saying when I say, I forgive you? What does that entail? As we said earlier, forgiveness is a costly business. It takes everything in our humanity to admit fault and to ask someone, please forgive me. It's just as demanding to utter the words, I forgive you. Alistair Begg said, these are especially hard if we are seeing this as a threefold promise and that when we say, I forgive you, what we're really saying is number one, I promise not to bring it up to you ever again. 
no matter what happens, no matter what disagreements we may have in the future, this offense I will never bring up to you again. Two, I promise not to bring it up to others. That's a good one. Because don't we use that as a tool to validate how wrong the other party really is? I mean, if we can get others to side with us, we can sit, we can glare at them, we can exhort some kind of fake power over them. The truth is, it's not a power, as we've said before, but it's a power over you. When we continue to hold on to others' offenses towards us, it's the weight of that offense that we carry around, not them. If I haven't, a, someone's offended me and I'm holding it. Let's say Bob, bless Bob. If Bob's in here, I'm sorry. But Bob may be at Logan Martin skiing, eating hot dogs and hamburgers. He cares nothing today about the offense that you're holding so tight. So it's not the weight of it. It's on Bob. It's on me. It's a weight that I need to get rid of. And three, to me, pardon me, to me, this is the hardest one of all. I promise not to rehearse it in my own mind over and over and over. Seeking God's help in every moment. It's costly to us because it takes everything we have not to mull it over with others. And it's costly to us because by releasing them from the offense, it means that we can't sit back and stew over it. That we can no longer use it against them. But rest assured, as costly as it is, for us, it will never be as costly to us as it was to God to give His Son so that we could be forgiven. And then learning how through that kind of forgiveness, it makes us able to forgive even deeper offenses in our lives. Being hurt by words, being hurt by slander, We need to learn to forgive those because there are offenses that are much deeper than that in this life that through the practice of these trivial offenses that we're going to need the power of God to be able to forgive those. We cannot forget that it's His charge, that it's His call from His Word for us to be able to do that. Like we said, the enemy has no answer for that because it doesn't make earthly sense for us to forgive. It, it just doesn't. But then it didn't make earthly sense when Jesus went to the cross. Forgiveness and vengeance. Well, let me rephrase that. Forgiveness and not vengeance doesn't make earthly sense. 
It doesn't have to. But I can tell you that it means everything in God's eyes because that is the message that he wants us to get. I've often said, and I prayed, Lord, help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to be more like him, to emulate his ways in the steps that I take in this life. I'm quite convinced that if I learn two things, that if I learn to love without barrier, and I learn to forgive others, that's a pretty good job of emulating who Jesus is. And that's something that I need to concentrate on and work on on a daily basis.